Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner Evan Preparis, and joining me I have my co-host Brenna on the line. Brenna, say hi. What's up, everybody? Glad to be back. Brenna is driving, uh, as usual, or not as usual, but she is driving. So if you hear any weird noise in the background, that might be her. Uh, Before we get to this week's episode, this episode is brought to you by Ambari Nutrition. So if you haven't heard of Ambari Nutrition, uh, you're not alone because some of the Prank of the Gauntlet Pro Team had never heard of them when they uh, decided to sponsor us, but they have some great products. So in addition to having like normal supplements on their line, they have a lot of actual foods that are higher in protein, and that's what I really like them for. So they have like chicken noodle soup that's high in protein, they have high protein bread, they have high protein oatmeal that's low in sugar and um, low in other sweeteners, so it's like it's it's good. It's really good. So I'm really liking their full line of products that are very high in protein, and they're real food that you can eat. Uh, they also have a lot of bars, which are decent, but I'm not a huge fan of those. But the, like I said, the oatmeal, the bread, the uh, chicken noodle soup, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Brenna, what have you tried from them? Um, yeah, I'm loving, I tried the bread based off your recommendation, love it. But I also have found that they have um, peanut butter, which is amazing for some of the recipes I'm using. Um, great for mixing in with yogurts, so you can get some peanut butter powder from them. And they have a great line of, like you said, um, supplements, but I've found they've got a great multivitamin and a joint care supplement that I'm trying out. And I did find and see that I'm really excited about, like, a acid-free coffee, and they have some protein-packed um, lattes and different type of drinks. So I got, like, a pumpkin spice latte protein-packed. Really excited to try that. So definitely different than just your basic supplements. So worth checking out for um, some protein-packed snacks and nutrition items for you. And if you head over to the CTG Pro Team website, www.ctgproteam.com, you can look at our sponsors and discounts section, and there'll be a link that'll give you 20% off. you got to basically go to the, our website first, click through it, and then when you get to Ambar, it'll give you 20% off your order. So definitely check them out. Big fan of eating whole foods over, um, you know, not whole foods. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, head over and check those out. All right, let's get to today's guest. So... Joining us on the line, we have Lee Stowell. Lee, say hi. Hello. Cool. We're going to give you a quick rundown of his bio, and then we will uh, get to the episode. So 2013, ran the Boston Marathon with uh, 318, so solid time there. Um, used to run a lot of the Battle Frogs, always placing top 10 in age group. Was even on the podium of Battle Frog Kansas, which he shared the podium with uh, Nathan Palmer and Cody Payton, two Conquer of the Gauntlet pros at the time. I was running BFX that day. Good times. Uh, 28th overall at both 3K and the 15K at NORAM. Uh, let's see what else we got here. And then on, t- on top of that, so kind of one of the big reasons we're kind of having him on this podcast is he's also heavily involved in the backside of the sport, so the industry side of the sport. So started volunteering, as bi- b- volunteering for Battlefrog, then uh, started working for Battlefrog, doing some of their uh, build crew developing their kids course, uh, went on to work for Bonefrog, has worked for Frontline OCR, that's the one based out of Illinois with the weighted vest that you do the Elite Wave in, and now works for Savage Race. And he's, him and uh, Bo Burton, one of their obstacle designers, have helped develop some of Savage's new obstacles, including things like Battering Ram, Pedal the Metal, Holy Sheet, and uh, some other great stuff. So, Lee, again, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, I appreciate it. Cool. So we're going to talk about a little bit about you, a little bit about Build Crew, and that'll excite Brenna. And then, uh, you know, you know, if you can, I'm not sure how much you can share, but kind of, you know, some upcoming things for Savage in uh, 2019. So let's start off with first, how did you get, how did you find OCR in the first place? Well, the crazy part was is I actually just started out running, and. I did a lot of, I did focus mostly on marathons, did a couple of marathons, and my last marathon was actually the 2013 Boston Marathon that you mentioned. Um, after that, I realized I don't really like running on road, 
So I just I decided to run on trail pretty much from there on out. And uh, I did a lot of trail running up in Vermont, New Hampshire, and did a few um, ultras with peak races where you had to wear snowshoes the whole time. The funny thing is I didn't train with snowshoes before I went for the snowshoe ultra, so that, that was a little challenging. But uh, then I realized that you know running for 100 miles gets a little mind-numbing after a while. So I was looking for something to kind of mix it up a bit. And that's, that's when, right around that time, was when OCR was really starting to become more popular. Um, and I was hearing a lot about it. So I figured I'd give it a try. Um, I started out at Warrior Dash and had a great time there. So I kind of went around and checked out the different races, Tough Mudder, things like that. And then, um, lo and behold, right, the next town over from my hometown, um, there was this awesome race called Battle Frog coming by. And uh, I had never done one of those races. I heard Navy SEAL, so I was a little bit intimidated as to the race. Um, but... I also didn't have a ticket, so I, I volunteered, and I didn't end up getting to run the race that day, uh, but that's that's when I got into OCR right there. I um, asked them, well, hey, you know, how do I get on build crew? And they're just like, well, hey, do a good job, and we'll put in a good word for you, and the rest is pretty much history. It was pretty tough at first, um, being at the kind of, uh, it was more like an independent contractor and a lot of day labor at first, um, but once they brought me out to the team, I got to start running the races and really competing more there. And that's when I really started getting really into the spirit of OCR. Once I started meeting all the athletes and meeting all the people in the community and really getting to enjoy the obstacles and play around on them a lot, that's, that's what really helped me. Which was that first Battle Frog? Which one was that? That was at the Carter and Stevens Farm in, well, they called it Boston, but really it was Western Massachusetts, about an hour away. Oh, okay. Um, nice. And then that's why I volunteered. And then the first one I started at was their Mines and Meadows one, which was ah. insane. Was that the second year of Mines and Meadows or the first year? The second year. Gotcha. Okay. I think I was uh, I was course marshal, I think, that year at that location because I had a knee injury then. But first year was amazing running that one for sure. So exciting. Yeah, it's, I definitely underestimated how cold it was going to be in the cave in the water. <laughs> Yeah, I think everybody did. Because <laughs> I remember the second year, that's when they had to, like, shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Go with uh, the life vest is just not going to help you when you get shocked into submission. Yeah, exactly. So for those, yeah, who, I, for those of us who don't know what you're talking about, explain the, the course you're talking about. The, was that the P Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania course? Yeah. So it was a, this place called Mines and Meadows. They had a, um, a lot of off-road and UTV trails. But they also had an old mine that was in full service at one point, but when the back half of the mine flooded, they closed the mine down. So you still have the front half, which is available to run through and kind of, you know, maneuver around it. And we actually had some obstacles in the mine itself. Um, and we ran past the first part and then into the water and had a, a full-blown swim in the back of the mine. And being underground, it was already, you know, it was probably 80 degrees out and then you go into the mine and it's 50 degrees and you go into the water and it's much, much colder. And uh, that, that was one of the main appeals to, to that venue was the, the mine and going in and out. And it was a bit of a maze in there too. So you had this feeling of, you know, hey, am I going to get lost? It's pretty, pretty challenging. But luckily the course marking got everybody out of there safely. Yeah, the pictures from those events are phenomenal. Like I love seeing the pictures of people crossing the mines. I know Ashley has some choice pictures that appear on, on uh, Facebook every once in a while of her with some pretty awful faces going through the mine. Yeah, that was Pittsburgh the first year was the first, uh, that's like where Battle Frog, my first Battle Frog, and took off and I met Garfield and um, that mine, it was crazy because like you said, it was pitch dark in there and it played on your fear of just like afraid of the dark and then cold water and it was amazing, insane, but fun. <laughs> Missed it for sure, as we will all say, Battle Frog will be missed for different reasons. So you're working for Battlefrog for a while, right? And then they eventually go out of business. And then talk about that transition, like the the last couple of days of Battlefrog into kind of how you found your next uh, job working on the backside industry of OCR. Yeah, let's see. Um, the last one was up at King's Domain. And uh, everybody on the crew, we nobody had really any idea it was coming. And... Uh, it was wild because we were all excited about going to the next event. And we had finally, you know, got our logistics down to a T and 
worked, worked really hard and everybody put in blood, sweat, and tears. And then uh, I, I had left. I had worked the extra hours um, a couple of days prior to them ending so that I could get out of there and get to the next site. And I was literally at the next site and I already had half the course marked when I got the phone call like, oh, hey, uh, stop working because the company's over. And that, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. And then uh, there was quite a few people who actually didn't, uh, they got stuck. They had to like find their own way home. And luckily, I had my vehicle with me and I just kind of got my vehicle and drove off. But uh, it, was, it was brutal. And uh, it was, it was kind of sad because, you know, the the office, well, not office, but the administrative and the upper tier of the company, they were kind of the ones that, you know, made the decisions that, that ended up ending us. But on the ground, in the trenches, all the crew guys, you know, we really put a lot into that and we really cared a lot about it. And that's, I think that was one of the things that made it so special was how closely tied into that we were. You know, we cared about all the athletes, we cared about the obstacles, we really wanted to make it happen. So that was pretty tragic, but uh, to be honest, we were all kind of stunned. There was a good uh, a good month or two where like nobody even talked to each other, and then uh, probably 60, 90 days later, you know, it started. Everybody started coming out of their days like, "Hey, like, what uh, what is going on here?" And everybody wanted to stay in OCR, but it was at the end of the season, so it's not quite the best time to get onto a different crew or to go with a different company because they are not. Everybody's at the end of their end of their race year, so I ended up actually uh, being an Uber driver for a while, which <laughs> had its own wild experiences. And then, um, oh yeah, it's it's a lot of crazy people with Uber, especially between two and four in the morning. <laughs> but uh, that was that was pretty fun. And then um, once the springtime rolled around in January, I basically. Went around like I did before when I first started in OCR, and I kind of I ran a bunch of different races, kind of get a feel for what races I might enjoy or who you know what team I might like working with, and try and get it. I did a lot of volunteering to get an inside look at you know how people operate, and I found Bonefrog, and I went to one of the races, and it looked like these guys really care a lot about the industry. They care a lot about you know the racers, the obstacles. And they, you know, they get it. I don't know a better way to say it other than summing up like that. But they got the spirit of uh, OCR. So the great part was, is I, I crossed the finish line, and both the race director and the CEO were standing right there, you know, hanging out, talking to everybody. So that to me was a good time. Um, and I, I got in with them and told them, you know, hey, this is what I can do. I'd love to come and help you guys out. And uh, they were actually launching, growing into new venues and uh, with their company itself. So they were looking for a little bit of help here and there. Um, at that time, there was only, they only had a race every, about one a month. Um, so it wasn't uh, full time, but it was great to come out, you know, for two weeks, every other two weeks, and come out there and make, make an event happen. I, was, I would feel like know, also, Lee, I think maybe at some point, if I'm not mistaken, you and I had talked briefly. I think you reached out to me about Conquer the Gauntlet. Did you not, like, towards the end of the summer after that happened? That's exactly what happened. I, I did. I reached out, and I was uh, – Because I think we were going to try to get you to, like, Atlanta maybe, I think, was what we were talking about. But I was so heartbroken because I, I talked you up because I, I remember had met you through Battle Frog and, like, a few events. And I was talking with David Mainprise, the owner, and I was like, hey – Please reach out to me, and he was on film crew with Battlefrog, and I, we wanted to get you out there, but again, Conquer the Gauntlet being such a small little family, it was hard, but I remember reach, I remember you coming to me, and I was like, oh man, it would have been awesome to work with you on build for sure. Oh yeah, especially with, the thing for me is CTG has got such amazing obstacles, that's that's the killer part, and it, like you said, how it's such a tight-knit, you know, you guys are like a family, that's, yeah. that's kind of what I was looking for, so it's unfortunate I didn't get to make it out. Um, but I, I did find kind of a home at Bonefrog, and that was really nice. Um, after Bonefrog was uh, – actually, I was with Bonefrog at the time um, when I got a call from Mr. Coach Payne, and he wanted me to go conduct some business up in uh, up the front line in Illinois. And <laughs> good, that was good use of that term. <laughs> <laughs> He's – yeah, me and him were pretty close, and he, he's a trip because I used to work. He was always at Battle Frog, and um, we were always, you know, <laughs> setting off, setting off the junior races and the uh, start and finish line up there. So that was a lot of fun. Worked in a lot. 
but yeah, he uh, tipped me off to this frontline crew wanting to start a, an OCR up there, and they actually hadn't done one yet, so they were looking for someone to kind of give them a, a head start and kind of give them the run, give them the run of the mill, and let them know what needs to be done to have a successful event. And we did. We had a killer. They had a lot of great ideas. Um, kind of helped them put put together a lot of uh, great obstacles, a great course, and overall the event was amazing. Um, that was just kind of a one-time thing for me, though. And at that point, I was still, I was still kind of having my feelers out there to see what I could do, what I could do to fill up my time um, in between having races, you know, here and there. Uh, and that's when Savage reached out to me, and I got up with Sam Abbott. And he's a great guy, and he, he told me right away. He's like, hey, you know, we could really use you, and uh, we've got a great thing going on here. And I, I had raced there a few times. Really enjoyed the, the obstacles and the mostly the environment. You know, and the, everybody's real happy and friendly, and it's not uh, super aggressive, and everybody seemed to get along. Um, so I, was, I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then I signed out with them. So I have to ask with Savage, because I know kind of some of the background and people with them, and Tracy helped build and came and worked with you guys in one race. Were you the first crew member from Battlefrog to work with Savage? Because correct me if I'm wrong, aren't there like a couple Battlefrog guys now with Savage? <laughs> Well, I was actually the second. First uh, was a close friend of mine, Mitchell. Um, he was he was one of the guys from Battlefrog, and he uh, he he basically opened the door. And so we now have five guys on the build crew, all five ex Battlefrog. <laughs> literally, awesome. and literally the best of the best. So uh, we're we're really running strong over here. And. Once, once the first, basically the first guy got in, he'd open the door and let in the rest of the frogs, and now we're just a whole, <laughs> whole lily pad. <laughs> That's funny, I remember Tracy saying that. He was like, it's like I know Sam and Lloyd and Bo are savage, but everybody else is like ex-battle frog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they know how to pick him. And basically, Sam's real uh, adamant on bringing in people that are already knowing what they're doing and have already got to get them. He's really big on team cohesion, um, so he really wanted to have people that you would get along with, and we told him, like, hey, you know, these are the people that we worked with before that worked well, so it's, and you would know, you know, having the, the small family unit, if you bring in somebody who's just not going to get along with everybody, it's, it's not really going to work out. Yeah, exactly, because y'all are pretty much eating, sleeping, living, working together, so you have to, you have to like one another and get along very much, so. <laughs> yeah, particularly here, it's, Literally, you know, we got almost nine months straight with the exception of August where every single day, 24 hours a day, you got to looking at the same faces, same old mugs, and uh, we're always, we get in our hair, each other's hair a lot, but we, we figure it out and get along. And I would like to say from being on different build crews that I find that that's pretty awesome that y'all drive so well and your schedule because from other race series, a lot of others get like a week or two in between the events. Um, I think Terrain Race does a lot of back-to-back, -back, but they had, like, two different crews that, had a, you know, a West Coast and an East Coast, so it split it up. But for Savage Race, that's impressive for you guys because, yeah, like you said, you get August as your month off. But, I mean, once your season starts, y'all are pretty much boom, boom, boom from event to event. So you don't get – you don't really get a whole break or in-between time. Oh, absolutely not. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, – do one, break it down hop in the truck or drive to the next one and set it up and just <laughs> rinse and repeat. So I, I, give, I give props to you on that because I know from the athletic standpoint and uh, on the build crew how taxing it can be year-round, but people don't really see the whole backside of it. So that's kind of why I found I enjoyed doing both sides because it's like eye-opening to see how hard the crew works on the other side to make a couple hours of fun for thousands of people. <laughs> yes, and that's, you, that's crazy how much – like you said, unless you're you're volunteered or you're on a crew, you don't always see that. You just see the event day where everybody's all happy and smiling. You know, you don't see the, the sweat and tears that go into some of the stuff behind the scenes. It's definitely a trip. Yeah. And so we've mentioned kids' course and stuff. Is that, like, your your passion or your big focus, or what do you head up? Like, what's your responsibility with Savage on the crew? I know you love the kids' course and stuff. Rabbit for it. <laughs> yeah, um... Well, my, my passion with kids' course actually started back at Battlefrog. Um, but they, I, they didn't really have space for me to do the design of the adult courses there, but they had plenty of space for me on junior course. So I kind of jumped on that and kind of spearheaded that a little bit. 
and running the rabbit part is really fun. You know, like you, it's amazing to me always how the kids, no matter what, they always have the most fun out of everybody on race day. Oh yeah. And they're, yeah, they're just out there having a blast no matter what, and uh, it's really enjoyable. So I've been through after Battle Frog and through Bone Frog, um, Frontline, and now at Savage. I focus. I do. I do most of the um, the junior course for each each one of those one of those as I worked at them. Savage. Now that I'm here, I've added a lot of stuff. I've added two different distances, a few more obstacles, and I've kind of tried to make it a little more challenging for the kids because you know, I don't really want it to. It's not that it ever was an afterthought, but it, I really wanted to make it bring it to the front and show the kids, you know, hey, this is gonna be just as challenging as the what your adults, what your parents are doing. You know, they're going out there and having a great time. You can do the same obstacles, just a little bit smaller, and you know, come along, to, come along too. The um, I do also, luckily here at Savage, they had plenty of room for me to do lots of fun stuff, and I've been able to really get into the design a lot, which has been enjoyable because I really like trying to <laughs> send the courses through some, uh, through the mud, through the woods. You know, I don't. I like to make them a little bit. It's coming from the racer side. I like to try and really put that influence into the design. And I've had a lot of space here at Savage, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, also, that's the, exciting. Yes, the, the obstacle design as well. Um, so me and Bo kind of share a lot of the. Uh, he's the typical race director, and I'm the assistant race director. Um, but we do share the a lot of design for both the courses and the obstacles. And I have I have got to uh, design a few of the obstacles myself, and it's been really, really enjoyable because we have a good framework to start with where we're able to build big platforms like, you know, battering ram or holy sheets, and we've got a lot of materials to work with. Awesome. Now, I want to jump into some of the new obstacles that Savage has coming out in a minute. But before we get to that, you know, you've worked on several different build crews and kind of have worked your way in. You know, what advice would you have for someone who's listening that wants to get in on the build crew side or kind of the backside of the industry of OCR? Well, to be honest, it's it's probably going to be a tough go at first, and you got to be prepared to be the hardest worker in the room, even if everybody's a hard worker. you got to really push. Like when we when I first started at Battlefrog, you know, I was dry. I had to pay for my own travel. I had to pay for my own hotel, and I actually worked. I I lost money at the first few events that I worked. I didn't make enough to even pay for my food and travel. I don't think that's much, much of the case at some of these uh, other races nowadays. But that's the kind of mindset you got to have going into it. Is you might have to make a few sacrifices off the bat, and don't be afraid to be out of your comfort zone. It's a lot like a race. You're going to be out there and your heart rate's going to be pounding. You're going to be out of breath, but you got to keep keep pushing. Don't give up and stay positive. There's, there's, it's a lot of things that will come out of come at you sideways that you didn't expect going to happen. It's As with any event planning, there's always something that comes up. So at number, number one thing is having the correct attitude. So when the thing that pops up that's unexpected, you address it head on, face first, nose up you know don't don't let it beat you down because once you start getting into a negative pattern it's going to work against you yeah i, I know. love that you well i was just going to say real fast i love that you mentioned the part of like losing money and kind of in the beginning i worked for free and it's like you volunteer almost i mean if you want to get into the backside, go volunteer but i never have actually signed up to volunteer at a race if that makes sense like i've never been an official volunteer but i always showed up and volunteered my time for free and that's kind of like like you said i you know paid my own way for a few events until people noticed how hard i was working and that i was willing to basically give up my own money and lose out on something to be a part of the team and family so i'm glad you mentioned that too because i wasn't sure if i was the only crazy person that went and traveled for free and lost money because I was so passionate about it. <laughs> yeah. And I, on the media side, it's, it's not much different, right? Like a lot of the articles I write are, I, I write for free. Uh, sometimes I get compensated in product. Sometimes I get compensated in cash. And, you know, I would say, especially at the beginning of when I first started writing back in 2015, you know, almost everything was free and I was just doing it because I enjoyed it, and that's what got my foot in the door and opened the door for people to pay me to write articles and stuff like that. So I think that's... And I feel like that shows the passion behind you and behind Lee and me, and I feel like the sport of OCR is a lot of 
crazy people that are very passionate about what we're doing because I think almost all of us, one way or another, started out by kind of like working from the ground up for free, basically, to get where we wanted to be. Absolutely. And then one more question. Uh, you kind of mentioned it already, but we'll see if there's something else you want to add on top of that. You know, what is one thing you want people to know who don't necessarily see the backside of the industry, uh, but it show up on race day? Well, I guess a good thing, big thing for me to tell someone who, honestly, would be that we're out here giving it our best. We're giving it our all, and there is not a lot of room for us to do a whole lot more for most of the time. So there's, we want to give you, you know, 100 obstacles per mile, you know, but it, it comes down to what's, what's feasible. Um, so really... As long as you come with a positive attitude and be, you know, ready to tackle the challenges that are ahead of you, that's that's how you come out and have a good time on race day. But if if we uh, if one person doesn't show up and we end up a little bit slow on bag check line, it's not because we weren't thinking about you. It's just because event event planning gets a little crazy sometimes, and we're giving everything we got. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a great answer. And you you touched on it a little bit when you were talking about the kids race. You know, the kids just go out there and have a good time. The kids don't come back from a from their event and they're like, there should have been an extra water station at you know mile one point one. And you're like, what? You're like, did you have a good time or not? Yeah, but there should have been one more. It's like, all right. So, um, yeah, definitely definitely some good advice there. Well, and like you said, Lee, I mean, because the crew, you guys, the build crew, are the ones on the ground for two weeks at a time or whatever, building for that race day. Uh, People might be unhappy with the outcome and complain and send corporate or whoever a message, but I just, you know, like you said, everybody needs to know that you guys are giving it your all and doing the best you can, and you want it to be a 100% success. And maybe, like, at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. on race day, shit might be hitting the fan for you guys. And the best part is on race day, especially at Savage, I've seen – the racers don't know what happened before and they see amazing effort and so kudos to you as crew because i know how it is so thank you for all that i know brenna brenna and i have seen it at conquer the gauntlet we've seen it at hannibal race we've seen it at the adventure like championship events but sometimes sometimes the background is chaos and the athletes literally have no idea and i've been on both sides where like you know, I've had a race director come up to me and be like, "Oh man, how was it?" And I was like, "I was like, no one has any idea that there was any problems." And they're like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "Yeah, it was completely seamless from the athlete side, but you know, the, the staff itself is jumping through hoops to make things happen." So, yeah, there's a lot. There's always a lot of there's always a lot of work going on in the backside. I think people are, um, you know, kind of missing out on. I think they just think it pops up in like two days, which some, I mean, to be honest, before I worked on build, like I had no idea. And then my first build, I thought, oh my gosh, this is what happens. <laughs> like I figured something happened, but it's amazing. Like it's, you have no idea <laughs> until you do it. So. And that's, that's when it comes back to the strength of the team. And like the only people who really make it on the build crew most of the time are the ones that are really passionate because you got to be able to push through the hard times. Exactly. You have to care about the sport. You can't just be good at building obstacles or construction or something because it's not going to be just like pay your bills job. It's it's a lifestyle, to be honest. All right. Now let's get into a little bit more about Savage. I know Savage is unveiling some new obstacles in 2019. I believe one or two of them have been sneak peeked already on the internet. I could be wrong. But, you know, what can you tell us coming up about Savage 2019 and what's kind of new in that realm? Well, we do have uh, our three new obstacles. Um, we have a new venue as well. Um, I'm actually in Gainesville right now. We've got just about half the course up. Um, we also have nearly doubled our events. So we've taken all, all of our previous events and added a blitz. So we have a total of 27 this year. So there's something for everybody just about. Um, Explain you know, the blitz for-, for those who don't know what that is. So the blitz is... It's, there's, it's two different things. So it's a shorter version of our Savage race that we normally have. It's, it was geared more towards an introductory type race. So for someone who may not feel comfortable running, you know, six, seven miles and doing, a, a, you know, this gauntlet of obstacles, uh, 
the Blitz is more of it's a shorter course. It's less obstacles, and we also um, have less water, less mud. Um, so it's good for people who may not feel comfortable with their fitness level if they don't want to do something too extreme. But on the other token of that, for those who are very comfortable with their fitness level, it gives a true challenge as to how fast can you do it and how, how much can you really fly through the obstacles and like what, how fast can you bring your heart rate to maximum and then keep it there for a good three miles. The, um, we do have a few new obstacles. I did put a preview out of inversion therapy, which is my baby. I love that thing. And it's, yes. uh, <laughs> and you get a peek at that, it's, it's going to be challenging. Um, yeah, so that's the one with the pipe, right? And the ladders? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So here in Gainesville, we'll have it over um, ground, but in the, for most of our events, we'll actually have that over our water pit. I did so, see a comment about that. Woo! <laughs> yeah, it should be exciting. Um, so we also can, you, have, uh, can you explain that for those who haven't seen it? Yes. Inversion therapy is... Well, for anybody who's ever had inversion therapy, uh, it's hanging upside down. Um, it's great for your back. It releases tension. And uh, it also increases your grip strength when you do it a lot. This particular obstacle is a lateral pipe. And you're going to be hanging on the underside of the pipe and traversing across all the way to the end. And then at the end of the pipe, uh, you'll encounter a rope ladder, which is, if you've ever been to the fair and they have that challenge where you have to try and cross a rope ladder to get to the end, where the rope ladder is always trying to tilt left and right and tip you off, it's like that, but you'll be hanging on the underside of it. So a little bit easier, but still the instability of it makes it quite challenging. And also as a bonus, in the middle of the obstacle, we've uh, doubled the width of the pipe and put a, a sleeve over it so that it rotates. No, nice. So, yeah, if you grab it the wrong way, you'll slide off pretty easily. <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it, we actually have it pretty low too, so if you are not careful, you'll drag your back right through the water or on the ground or fire ant nest, whatever happens to be there. Well, with um, that being said, can you, like a rule for it, are you allowed to like touch the water or it's just as long as you don't fall? Yes, so you just can't put your arms and legs down pretty much. As long as if you have your back in the water, that's totally fine. You can keep your back gotcha. in the water the whole way across. Uh, gotcha. But you just can't can't take your arms and legs off. Cool. Cool. So um, sounds sounds like a pretty cool low rig type thing. Yes, exactly. I was looking for something that because we always all our obstacles are so high off the ground. You know, if, if you go flying off at a weird angle, you might twist your ankle or something. I actually have gotten that on myself a few times. I was thinking about something that, you know, if you were to fail, you're not going to, you don't really have to worry about any injury. So that's, that's what that one's nice for is, I mean, yeah, you might get wet, but you're not going to, you know, fall and hit or anything. So it's zero injury obstacle. So I'm really looking that, forward to it. And I like it. It feels like it's a combination and a spin on like a Tyrolean Traverse-ish thing meets the like caving ladder that you climbed underneath from Battle Frog that was crazy. So it's like a combined cool obstacle like that. Absolutely. Um, what else? What else can you tell us? <laughs> oh, it's funny. I actually took a bunch of pictures today, and I thought about posting them, and now I have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, th this we won't this won't come out for a while, so you're good for about another uh, two weeks. Oh, safe. All right. So uh, we also have um, piece of queso, which is a rig type um, with hanging walls that you may have seen in different Ninja Warrior or even trampoline park uh, areas where they have uh, a PVC-based wall with holes cut out of it, similarly like you see in uh, Swiss cheese. So it's like the corners are nipped, and there's a bunch of big holes in it, small, little, varying sizes. So we've got a few of those going across with the old sheets from Holy Sheets uh, in between those. So, got, yeah, it's kind of an interesting traverse going from one to the other, and you actually have to go one to the other three times. So that'll be a, it'll be a fun rig type. And it's not something you can just, you know, skip past the wall because you'll end up just whacking right into it. You have to literally traverse to each uh, piece individually. It's not That's something amazing. you can Are there, foot, like, footholds, holes, holds, too, or is it just hands? Right? There like, is. So the, the wall itself is eight feet tall. So, okay. And it, it hangs about eight to ten inches off, off the uh, ground. Um, so if you swing in low, you'll have to climb to the top of the wall and get to the next to traverse to the next uh, sheet. But if you swing in high, you might be able to stay up there. But 
the the walls do bend a little bit too, so that's something that I'll be fighting against you. Oh man, that sounds awesome and very different. That's that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Is that one going to be in Gainesville this weekend? Like, are all of these new ones going to be in Gainesville this weekend coming up? Yes. Yeah, so we have all three new brand up brand new obstacles, and they're right at the entrance when you come into park. So as you drive in, you'll be able to see them as you before you have even reached the festival area. And nice. if you if you're not coming in first thing in the morning and people are already on the course, you get to kind of see them in action, which would be really neat. We have a great setup for this uh, venue. Very cool. And what's the third one? Can you tell us? <laughs> I can. So this one is Bo's baby, and he he's he's the mad genius behind this one. It's called Chopsticks, and it is, I guess, the easiest way to define it would be a, a series of pendulums where it with footholds at the bottom of each pendulum so you you stand on one swing to the next and transfer to the next one swing transfer and swing but the, yes it is but the directions in which the chopsticks swing differ so the first three chopsticks are going to swing left to right and the last two will swing uh forward and backwards so you got to change direction as well as you're traversing across these chopsticks it, it looks really neat, especially when you look at it from the side and they're all swinging at once. It looks like uh, some kind of crazy medieval machine. Oh, that's so uh, fun. I'm just trying to imagine the, like, the, the brain when you come up with these things because that, that, that one sounds different. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's, it's almost like um, if anybody has had the, or tried Legaf that uh, Marco came up with in Noriam, it's yeah. like that but opposite so that it, they're, um, they swivel at the top. And in the oh, bottom of the yeah. part that swings loose. Okay, I I got you now. That that painted a really good picture right there. There you go. Yeah, yeah those we're really excited about those three. And it, last year I was able to kind of squeeze in a couple more environmental type obstacles as we went throughout the year. So I might be able to come up with something here and there. And there, there is a few spots where I'm trying to make the uh, our carry a lot more a lot more entertaining. <laughs> I mean, you might have seen some of my comments. I don't know. And everybody shoots me down. They're like, keep Savage what it is. If I wanted to carry stuff, I'd carry a bucket up a mountain. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, everybody. I'm not saying turn Savage into heavy carries like crazy. My point is either make the carry that you have a carry or get rid of the 4x4. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I love everything about Savage. And pe people know that. But the only thing I say their carry just makes me laugh because I'm like, really? That doesn't even slow anybody down. And I'm all about strength. So yay, kudos yeah. if you can get something a little heavier for us. <laughs> I appreciate that. So yeah, I, do, I feel the exact same way. I love all the, everything about it, but that, that one obstacle gets, gets me sometimes. So you do, you run it, you pick it up and it's like, you don't even have to slow down. You sprint through whatever. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and make it, make sure that it slows you down. So <laughs> especially in Ohio. Yay. Sorry, Ashley. Sorry, Rachel and all of y'all that <laughs> don't like it. <laughs> so, Evan, I don't know. Are you still wanting more Savage stuff? Because I kind of want to pick his brain about his little, like, athletic accomplishments that he has a little bit more of, too. Yeah, I'll do one more Savage question, and then we'll move on to some of his athletic accomplishments. So I know Tough Mudder, you know, their way of coming up with obstacles, they do, like, a design contest, and then they – um, they do like beta testing where they invite people out and have them test the obstacles and stuff. You know, like what's Savage's method for creating obstacles? Is it just like you and Bo sitting in a room brainstorming or, you know, what's your, what's the deal there? Yeah. So we do, um, it is mostly me and Bo sitting in a room brainstorming and uh, <laughs> just shoot, bouncing ideas off each other. Um, but we also do, uh, take, pay a lot of attention to the feedback. Um, from the savages that have come out and raced and what they've got to say. Uh, we've also actually had uh, a few good obstacles come up from guys in the crew. Um, they, they usually have a lot of really good ideas, especially from working race day and seeing how the obstacles work and seeing you know what people like and don't like. They have a lot of great input. Um, and then we kind of take the majority of it and uh, boil it down to a few, a few good ideas that we feel what really could work. And then that's when we'll set up test, you know, test lanes uh, different venues, you know, we'll take one lane and switch it out for something that's completely different and then, you know, let people go through. So they, it's not, you know, a complete 
test where we're making the whole obstacle that way. So if it were to fail, it would be disastrous. We just give them one lane and give people the option to check it out and then kind of see how it works. And we use that as our kind of test it on the fly, uh, so to speak. And then at the end of the year, for our last event, we do a full mock-up. Um, anybody that was at the fall event in Dade City in Florida would see the the original makings of chopsticks, conversion therapy, and piece of queso. We had all those set up there for a single lane. Um, so if you were there for that, you'll know pretty much pretty much what to expect coming into 2019. But we did kind of modify them a little bit, so it'll give you a general idea. Well, because I was going to remember, I think y'all did that too. If it was the year before, like the end of the year, y'all invited and asked athletes to come, like maybe the day after or something. Because I think um, was it the one where you slide the pipe around and the holy sheets I've tested. I remember having friends go out and like kind of test and give feedback and do videos and stuff with it, which is really cool way to do it. Yeah. That was our original mock-ups of uh, battering ram and holy sheets. And yeah, we yeah. get the, uh, the especially enthusiastic athletes to come out and uh, yeah, they, they love it. Testing out the new obstacles and it's, they always give really good feedback too. So it's a good thing to have. And there's a good group of them down there in Florida that are like local to the area that get to come and do a bunch of races, but are really good to be voices, I think, for the community. <laughs> oh yeah, there's the crew is incredible here in Florida. It always amazes me. I mean, there's you got a lot of people in the other states, and like of course in Texas you got the the Lone Star and all these other guys, but here in Florida the the base of athletes that are just committed 100% to OCR is it always just amazes me. Cool. Well, you guys are doing a great job on the obstacles. I always think Savage has some really creative stuff and uh, some really great stuff coming, you know, every year. And, and then I always laugh. What, you know, Tough Mudder does that obstacle design contest, and they, they'll put up, like, here are the ten finalists or five finalists, whatever they do, and then, like, we're going to pick one of them as a new obstacle. And <laughs> what it turns into is here are four obstacles that are re- very awesome that you're not getting, and here's one one other obstacle. So you look at the comments and people are just angry all the time. You know, they're like, what? Why didn't we pick obstacle X, Y, or Z? And you're like, oh, geez. It's like, this is what happens when we, get, <laughs> we let people choose things. So, but yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think you guys are doing a great job and keep it up. And, uh, you know, we're huge fans of Savage on this podcast. We've had, you know, Rachel on and Jamie and Ashley and obviously Brenna, um, well, that's why it was. It was funny. I think Bo sent me. Oh, well, Bo sent me a message like a while back, and he was like, "I had no idea how much he loved Savage until I heard you on a podcast." And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I might be CTG protein, but um, Savage is pretty freaking awesome." <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, it's oh, good stuff. I do want to ask though, like when it comes to the backside of things, um, I know Sam and Lloyd are very active in everything, but how much does the build crew or like you per se and Bo have on like the metal design and shirt design and stuff like that? Because Savage Bling is amazing and some of the best. Do you, are you any of the brain behind that or is that Sam and Lloyd? That's mostly Sam and Lloyd, um, but they are very, uh, they're very open to input and they, they like to ask, you know, see what we've got to say. And then a lot, a lot of times we've heard from, nearly everybody on the ground, you know, when you talk to racers and everything, you're out in the festival walking around, you hear it all. So they really t- um, lend an ear to our input and what we've got to say. Um, but we, we don't have a direct control over the design. We just kind of give them the feedback. Uh, but Sam and Lloyd are really good for that. You know, they, they've always got open ears and they're always looking around and seeing what uh, what people are like and what's, what's happening. Nice, nice. Well, I want to transition us because one thing we were kind of talking about, and Evan said, save it for the podcast. Um, so back up a little bit to you being like an actual OCR athlete and Battle Frog back in the day. I remember when I first, like, I'd known of you from Bill Crew and you're Ginger. So, I mean, it was just kind of obvious. I was like, yeah, cool guy, Ginger Power. <laughs> we were at the ESPN Battle Frog event in Atlanta. And you were there as build crew for the Atlanta course, correct? Yes, I was. And that then, was a very ex- intense build. Yeah, that was a crazy venue. But um, explain a little bit, kind of, you know where I'm going with this. So tell everybody what happened from being on build crew and then what happened. <laughs> so I was at this 
beautiful place, Lake Lanier, in this amazing venue for our Battle Frog event. And uh, it was it was a pretty strenuous build. We had a lot going on, a lot of different sites, and the obstacles were really far apart, so there was a lot of logistics with that. And I put together one of the best junior courses that I've, uh, I've seen to this date. It was amazing. But so I was really, you know, head down, nose to the grindstone, all this stuff, working, working my butt off. And then uh, we get a call over the radio that, hey, we need somebody to come over to the, because the, uh, the ESPN side of this whole event was happening on, on the opposite side of the venue. It was kind of like in its own little corner and had its own separate team. And they were setting up these special ESPN obstacles, which are basically battle frog obstacles, but of one or two lanes. Right. And they, they kind of had their own team going on over there. Um, and so we, we were kind of kind of a little bit separate. But we get a call on the radio, and it's like, hey, uh, we need somebody to come run for Ryan Atkins. <laughs> and I'm like, and I was, I was the only person on the team at the time who was really active in, like, uh, competing. Most of the other guys were just, you know, focused on the construction and stuff like that or, like, weren't really super into OCR. Um, so I kind of got, like, uh, nominated for the position, and I'm like, what, what is happening here? You're like, put so, me in, coach. Put me in. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, like, if everybody heard correctly, Ryan Atkins got injured or was, you know, taking care of an injury for the ESPN event and needed a substitute. So, like, let's just say one of the top-ranked oh. – also, no pressure. Yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna replace the best OCR athlete. Yeah. It's not a big deal. I'll just go out there. It'll pretty much be like a one for one swap. You won't even notice the change. Yeah, I mean, I I work the finish line a lot, and I rarely ever see anybody come across first except for him. You know, I see what he does out there, and then it's like, oh, by the way, now you got to go fill in for him on this turbo course in front of a camera. Like, oh, okay, great, no problem. But you're right. You're right. It was. Uh, I started sweating bullets right away. <laughs> but uh, I got over there, and uh, I, for anybody who did see the coverage or anything like that, it looks all pretty and beautiful. The reality was is it was ice cold. It was so cold out there, and it was just, <laughs> it was cold where like so cold it makes you lonely. It was insane. It was, the wind was blowing straight off of Lake Lanier. So, and Brennan's over here in the dry robe, and everybody else is in dry robes because they were all ready for this. And I'm just standing there in, like, my work clothes, like, oh, man, this is brutal. I'm trying to do jumping jacks to keep warm. And uh, I was on the killer team, too. And Ryan happened to be the anchor leg, too. So he was like, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just hold down the whole team. No problem. And uh, Do you remember who his team was? Yes, it was um, Lindsey, Jesse, and – Another fellow who I didn't can't quite remember his name, but it was the Toronto, the Toronto team. Now, so Jesse Bruce was the, the guy. I, I may have been mistaken, but I, he he was definitely there competing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm trying to um, remember who the team was though too. But I also remember like as the athletes, we weren't like talking shit, but we were whispering like, "Wait, so there's like a build crew guy taking Ryan's place? Like, what's going on?" <laughs> I got a few funny looks. <laughs> I came over there, you know, like this random guy. I got all his facial hair and long hair and just looked like I'm all dirty and beat up. Looked like I just came and crawled out of a cave or something. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then uh, they called me over to the um, to the table there where the ESPN announcers were. And they're like, oh, okay, tell us tell us about your life and tell us some interesting facts and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I literally, I remember sitting there talking to this guy and stuttering for a good three or four minutes. Before I finally just spit something out that I could come up with. And then, um, so I, I get over to the uh, setting up for the race, and we were one of the later waves to, or later teams to go. So I ended up staying there for quite a while. Ryan, Ryan's just super, like, I've never seen somebody be so casual. He was just like, oh, yeah, like, no problem. You'll be good, dude. No, no problem. Whatever. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, what? And, uh, so I, and he was giving me little tips here and there, which are actually pretty handy. Um, but the leg I had to do was on some obstacles that I was real familiar and felt pretty strong with. So I was pretty comfortable with that. I didn't have to do the, uh, the first obstacle where you climb up the confidence wall and jump off from 25 feet or whatever. It was pretty, pretty intense for some of those first guys on the first leg. Um, I had a, uh, I had a rig, a rig section 
a warped wall type where you slide down the other side. And um, I believe another wall that I had to cross over as well. Oh, yeah, and uh, over-unders. That's what it was. The over-unders I felt really confident with. And the same with the rig. The rig was all rings straight across. So I went the first wave. Um, so we had to go twice. The first time I went through, um, I kept right up. Had no, had no issues whatsoever. Um, and we, so we got past that uh, tier. And we moved to our second, second time we had to go. And it was kind of like the championships you know it was like towards the end of the event where it was the last few teams battling against each other and uh by the time we were, we were fighting against a really strong team and i believe it was i think marco was on the other team it was maybe vancouver and uh but the one of our um, teammates previously had fallen and lost about 30 40 seconds so uh the by the time it came around to me, the other team had already passed the finish line before I even got the baton. And not the literal baton, but, you know, got, before I got tagged in. So it was kind of just like a, the, the pressure was instantly erased. Which, not to say that I wasn't going to try really hard, and I did try really hard, but it did give me a little bit of – although it, it, it sucked to not, not to win, or, you know, but it gave me a little breath of relief to be able to just be like, okay, well, they're already across the finish line. I'm just going to give it my best. I don't have to be like, okay, I didn't do well enough or I lost Imagine yeah, if you I lost, lost the race. The you lost the race for the the best team there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that yeah. would have been killer. And I remember I was all saying that like you did amazing. And um, just kind of for clarification here, I do recall your Toronto team. Let's see, it was um, Lindsay, you, Jesse, Bruce, and uh, the female was one of their friends from Canada that was I think kind of new to the sport. But um, and then your opponent, I remember it was Marco, which. This just kind of explains that event. Their team had a substitution because it was supposed to be Marco Claude. That's when she messed up her knee and took her out for the season. And um, it wound up being Adrian Almore filled in because she was in town filming American Ninja Warrior. And she came, like, after 24 hours of filming to fill in for Claude. <laughs> so it was, like, one of those events where, like you said, they um, we ran it so fast and so many times that every time through, the athletes were finding – another way to like eliminate a second and that meant whether they jumped from the top of the 25 foot confidence climb down or the cargo net jumped all the way down and with that happened some injuries unfortunately that we saw took out a couple really good athletes but i mean that was a, that was a crazy fun event and that's why i just remember like every time i hear your name because i know you from build crew and now racing i just think back to that because it was just one of those like I mean, what other situation could you just imagine that you're at work building an obstacle, doing your thing, and then all of a sudden ESPN, you got to fill in for Ryan Atkins? <laughs> yeah, that was it was a dream come true, but a little a little too intense, a little too quick. It came at me like a freight train. Yeah, that's a great story. I love it. So good, Brenna. You got any other? Any other good stories you want, we want to share yeah. before we start wrapping up? Well, I do because I keep – Lee and I, we've, like, bumped into each other a little bit more randomly because I was – where were we? Uh, Vermont. I feel like Vermont was almost a foreign country to me. I was there for so long. Um, <laughs> but I remember – didn't I see you? Weren't you, like, pre-running or kind of, like, getting a workout in on the course? And I see you, like, running up the mountain, like, mid – of the middle of nowhere mountain. And I'm like, wait, that's Lee. <laughs> like, hello. <laughs> yeah, I'd gone, there, I'd gone there earlier, and I'm like, well – if I'm going to go up the mountain during the race, I might as well run up it now and see what it's like. I, I think I, it was like the day before the race, too, or something like that. Too. Yeah, it and, was the uh, day before. Yeah. And the, the course, it was a lot of it was marked, but I was also kind of just like running around through grass and like knee-high stuff and just kind of getting lost <laughs> on the mountain. But it wasn't. I, I had seen, um, I saw Bobby Shelton up there doing some marking. He's like, oh, Brennan's running around the corner. I'm like, oh, no way. And I, did, I came out <laughs> and I saw, saw you crushing it. The, the amount of marking you guys had to do on that course was intense. Oh, my gosh. Going, knowing, doing a lot of marking myself on for the companies that I work for, I know what it's like. And you guys had to put tape both sides the whole way. That's <laughs> out of control. Yeah, I marked um, like half of the 15K. And, of course, it was from the start, which went straight up the mountain. It was brutal. <laughs> but I remember I think, seeing you there. And then I was Bobby just like, what are you he, doing? He opted for the uh, for the downhill section. <laughs> yeah, and lucky lucky choice. I wasn't. I guess I was like, I'm gonna get my workout in, and then I was hating life for like days later. Um, and then so it's funny. I see you there, and then like you raced, and you did really well for the championship event. And then I think then you stuck around, and I think like days later after the event, Tracy and I, and maybe Mark Ballas, are walking into like our 
favorite restaurant and you're hanging out on a pizza, just hanging out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's what's funny is I had left. I forget. I forget what exactly what I left. I but I left something in the suite that I had there. Oh no, I had the I had the key for the suite, and it was one of those keys where it says right on the key. If you do not return this, we're going to charge you like some extraordinary amount of money, like over $100. <laughs> and I, one of my favorite mountains is Mount Washington over in New Hampshire. So right after the, um, the NORAM, I was like, oh, well, while I'm up here in New England, I'll zip over to Mount Washington and check that out. So I, I, I left the next morning after the uh, NORAM had ended, drove to Mount Washington, climbed that, had a great time there, and then realized I still had the key and then drove back to, to the same spot, to, back to uh, – not Killington, but uh, the, the, the same mountain that happened in Noram. And literally, Stratton, that's the one, yes. And came back, and I was like, oh, well, I feel like I was just here yesterday. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, it was. And that, that's when I was like, oh, well, I don't really want to, you know, I just drove four hours away, hiked for eight hours, and then drove four hours back. I'm like, I don't really want to get on the road again right now. So I think I'll hang out and have some pizza. <laughs> that's, that's why I caught up with you guys. That was a good time. And it's just funny. The story. The, I feel like the things we do. It's an interesting life, but like the stories you can share and just chit chat. And I mean, you and I aren't the best friends. I don't know where you live, but we can bump into each other and see each other on course and share some really fun stories from years ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's. You know, it comes back to the. You know, the passion is the underlying denomination in OCR. You know, the, if we're on the same, the same pulse, the same goal line, then we end up bumping into each other no matter what. Exactly. And I'm super excited about your passion for the kids course because I personally am working with, you know, Conquer Youth that is specifically for kids. And um, I am so ready for the Atlanta event in the kids course because my nieces will be coming out. So we're going to make sure we come say hi to you and get them some fun kids course action and obstacles. They've been training hard for it. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that's that's one of our better courses, too. And I actually get to send them uh up a nice little stream too as well <laughs> get wet get uh pretty pretty dirty and uh i got a um a nice hay tower there as well it'll be a lot of fun awesome good because one of my nieces is the one that loves to do it but she hates to get wet and muddy so she'll be getting wet and muddy whether she likes it or not probably cry but it's okay <laughs> oh it's perfect <laughs> you it's, it. <laughs> you're not getting wet and muddy it's not as here exactly exactly well evan anything else or we're gonna get to our little Fun wrapping up time, or what you got? Now nah, we can wrap, start wrapping it up. Cool. Well, um, for those that haven't listened in a while or don't know, um, when we have our guests, Evan and I like to do a fun little random fact section that you might not have known about us. So we kind of do a round table and everybody shares something silly or unknown or surprising. Um, Evan, you want to start us off today? Uh, well, Lee, start us off. I like to try to All match right. the topic. Oh. <laughs> Sweet. Um, okay, so I grew up in Massachusetts, and specifically in the far western woods of Massachusetts near the Berkshires, which is like middle of nowhere. And uh, my dad was a park ranger his whole life, and he was very, uh, he lived out in the woods. And uh, we had this small cabin, and it was one of those where we had the outhouse, but it was, you know, a good hundred yards away. And uh, we also had no, no running water. Um, so I actually literally had no running water until I hit high school. It was one of those where if you want something, that, if you want to like uh, bathe, you, first you got to take the bucket, and then you got to hike up the hill to the well. You got to drop the bucket down, pull it up with a rope, bring it back, start a fire, heat up the water, put it in a little bin, and then put the bin outside, stand in it with a sponge, give yourself a sponge bath. And then this is, this is like any time of the year. So I don't know if anybody listening or if either one of you guys have been in Massachusetts in the middle of the winter, like January and just, you know, February, it gets a little chilly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I mean, walking outside barefoot, putting down a small team, you know, tub of steaming water and standing in it while it's snowing on you. (laughs) That's pretty interesting. No wonder you're awesome at build crew in this life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been through worse. <laughs> That's amazing. So you said until high school. I don't, I mean, that doesn't sound like anything like modern day times. That's pretty awesome to say that. Like, 
kudos, props to you. That's really cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's all fun and games until you got to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the, you know, the winter, and it's, the outhouse is a good hundred yards away. And then, oh my god! Yeah, don't, even, don't even think about how cold the toilet seat is. <laughs> That's crazy. So, Evan, you gonna match that topic? <laughs> uh, so I, I, I can give you two bathroom. They're not really things you don't know about me, but they're just kind of two random kind of bathroom stories. So one, when I went to Ranger School, like. You know, you're living in the woods for essentially two months straight. So you get used to like peeing whenever you have to pee. Like you don't have to go anywhere. You like you basically just you just take it out and pee. You, like while whatever you're doing, you just you know, so still like, I, not fair as a girl. I'm just gonna say still totally not fair. The one thing I wish I could have that guys could do is pee anywhere. We were talking about that in Kuwait. So, so I got pretty good at peeing while walking, uh something I still <laughs> use to this day, um, while doing ultras. Um you know, walking I, forwards? Yeah, walking forwards, yeah. <laughs> So I'm pretty good at that. I got pretty good at, you know, taking a knee and it looks like you're pulling security, but you're actually peeing. I'm pretty good at that. Um, and then I remember when I came out of ranger school, I, I thought it was such a hassle that I had to like walk the 30 feet to the bathroom wherever, you know, my bathroom, was in my apartment. I was like, oh, what a hassle this is. So it took me like a week to break that. So we're like, I was like, oh, man, listen, I don't want to walk an extra 10 feet to the bathroom. Um, but yeah. Um, so, and then I'll, I'll go with this for the second part of the story. So, you know, there, so when you're, you're in ranger school, you know, you pee wherever, wherever you are, basically, that's not a big deal, but if you have to take a dump, you have to go to the center of the, like the little security perimeter that you've set up. Right. Um, which is also where like the leaders plan. So while you're trying to give like mission briefings and plan for your next mission, there's literally someone taking a dump, like an arm's reach, like you can reach over I can reach over and touch, I can touch someone taking a dump while I'm like trying to give directions on like what the plan is. And we have, Why? because you, you don't, you don't want to, yeah, for safety. You don't want the enemy to find you. While so you poop in the middle of your little security base. Right. Um, so one, one, day, one day someone poops, um, like doesn't go to the middle of the base, but like walks just outside the base and poops. And our instructors were really, really mad. They were super angry. So we had to make the security perimeter bigger so the, the piece of deuce was, like, in our security perimeter. So. Oh, my gosh. That's a random story. Okay. I actually have another one, but we'll save that for another time. Um, but that's, that, those are two good ones. Yeah, keep that. Okay, well, I'm going to save what I was going to share. Um, <laughs> and I've got a bathroom story, I guess. <laughs> Since we're getting so intimate here. Lee's probably like, where did I start? This is the best part of these things. Um, so, okay, it's not fair that you guys can go to the bathroom anywhere at any given time and, like, it's socially acceptable because I'm not afraid of, like, going to the bathroom anywhere. That's not the problem. It's just the problem that girls aren't supposed to just drop their pants and go to the bathroom anywhere because, I mean, that's inappropriate, which is, you know, sexist, not fair. But, um, so my story, I admitted, I mean, in races, yeah, totally did the, like, long race. I did, like, a beast and had to pee while running in my leggings. You know, it's the amazing part about wearing long leggings. Cool. Not an issue. No shame. Um, I did leave the – where the U.S. champs, the Texas course. Um, Mark Ballas did a Green Bay Challenge 24-hour event out there before. That's how I found that course. Well, I left that 24-hour event and, like – it was eight or nine in the morning when we finished and we started having like beers and tacos and coffee. And then everybody started like to go back to their little tents and take a nap before they got on the road. But I home was Austin and it was like two hours away. I was like, I just got to get home. You know, it's 24 hours. I just am ready to go back to my dogs. So I get in my car and I head out of the venue. Well, if any of y'all went to us champs, you know that there's like nothing around that venue. As soon as I get on the road, I have to pee. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? I, I really had to pee. And there was, like, no chance to make it to a rest stop or anything. So I'm like, what can I do? You know, I just stopped on the side of the road. But it was, like, 80 miles per hour highway traffic. I was like, all right, I'll probably get, like, blown off here. So, yeah. So I looked over in my car, and I had a bottle. And I had to kind of, like, lift myself off the seat while driving down the Texas highway and pee in a bottle while driving. And... I mean, I had a pretty good aim. I did pretty good. Wow. It made like a slight mess, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> it definitely made a huge mess. 
It actually wasn't. I was actually kind of like, wow, this is happening. I'm thinking, oh my God, like I'm really impressed with the minimal amount of mess I made to where I was still able to ride in my car without like a wet seat. So, um, yeah, I've, I've had to do it, but it's not as easy as you guys. So it's totally not fair. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Definitely the Gatorade bottle is easier than the Sprite bottle. <laughs> yeah, luckily it was a wide bottle. So <laughs> that, was, that was helpful. We're gonna start wrap. We're gonna actually wrap it up now. So before we go, Lee, any uh, family, friends, sponsors, companies, whatever you want to shout out to. Uh, yeah, I want to give a shout out to my family here on the road. The closest thing I've got, and uh, the, you know, I really I count on these guys every day, and they count on me. You know, we we have almost safety incidents every once in a while, but we we're always looking out for each other and coming each other's back, and being out here every single day. 24 hours it really counts and i just want to say i appreciate you guys and i love you awesome brenna what do you got um i just am still i know this podcast is going to come out in a couple weeks but i am still on a major high from the trip to kuwait and again i my shout out goes to my new kuwait ocr family and lebanon family tied in so thank you amin and hiba and you evan for making that happen so um, big thanks, and I can never say enough thanks to that. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually wearing my Hannibal Race shirt right now as we're recording this, and I was wearing. I've actually, have you? I've done the headband, the buff, and the shirt all three different days, like back to back. Awesome. I, I wore the other shirt for like two days before I finally had to wash it, <laughs> and then I wore the buff the day before on a run. So yeah. yeah. I hear you. So other than that. Um, just uh, head over to teamstrengthspeed.com. Check out uh, Mud Run Guide's Ultra OCR Bible, a strength and speed guide to elite obstacle course racing. Has some great training plans in there. You're not going to find a better resource for training for OCR anywhere for that for that amount of money and that quantity of information. It's simply uh, it's simply the best. And it's the only one. It's the only book on competitive obstacle course racing. The other one's the only book on endurance obstacle course racing. So head over and pick those up. And also, the, our bleg mitts are on sale. They are going pretty fast. So we still have a decent number left in stock. But if you're, gonna, if you're racing toughest or planning on buying them for an Ultra Beast or something like that, you're not going to want to wait till just before the event because we will eventually sell out before you know all the toughest events go off. So uh, head over to TeamStrengthSpeed.com and pick those up. And other than that, uh, we've got some, some more content on Mud Run Guide and... Adventuries, OCR World Championships articles coming out. So kind of watch for those. Got some good stuff I'm going to be releasing through them. So that's it. Lee, thanks for joining us. Brenna, it's good to have you on again. Yeah, thanks, Lee. And um, good luck with the first kickoff of the race for Gainesville when y'all have that this weekend. I know podcasts will already come out. And um, I can't wait to see you. I'll see you in Florida for the next one in March. Awesome. Can't wait. Thank you, Brenna. Thank you, Evan. I appreciate it. Later.